for all of us who wait, for all of us who wait and wait and wait and wait, there is a purpose in the waiting. There is a reason in the waiting, and this is a mystery of God, and this is something that God grows in us, this love and this dependence and this patience and this perseverance on him. And at the end of all this, because there will be an end, and you need to know that there will be an end to the waiting, God is going to bring it to pass. There is going to be a finish line. There is going to be fruition in this whole trajectory. It's in him. You're going to get that which you long for. You're going to receive it. Welcome to an exegetical study of biblical scripture. This scripture is God's speech, God's story, written through the hands of men by his spirit, and it's all about God's glory. My name is Bryce Ferguson. Join me now as we go into the word. This is Genesis. To the one immortal, invisible, the almighty God, we come before you and we ask, Lord, please transform our hearts. Please transform our minds. As we see our bodies age, and as we see our abilities decay and diminish, Please, God, may our bodies, may we use our bodies in righteousness. May we see our bodies each day as a gift from you, just like our mind and our heart, and be thankful. May we see all of this in light of you, our great God and our provider, and the one who knows us utterly and completely and the one who loves us extravagantly. And give us hearts to wait on you. With patience, give our hearts fervence, fervent hearts to read and to study so that we would know your word to us, so that we would know your commandments so that we would know your promises, so that we would know the great extents of your love and be forever changed by that, God. Help us, O oh Lord, 
for we are greatly in need of you at every moment. We pray this all in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. If you have your Bibles, please join me and open today to Genesis 21, starting at verse 1. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. What a wondrous promise God has brought to pass for Abraham and Sarah. Some would definitely say by long suffering, just simply due to the timetable, this had been an incredible amount of time. And God is faithful. And God is true. Point number one today, each child is a gift from the Lord. In verse 1, it says, The Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. God is the author and creator of all things. Therefore, each child conceived in the womb and each child born to woman is from the Lord. Because they are made in his image. Because God is the author and the creator of life. We are not owed anything from the Lord. But the Lord in his gracious love gives us all things. All the things that we have, all the things that we enjoy, all of these are from the Lord. And so each child is a gift. Abraham and Sarah were not owed a child before God came to them and made a promise to them. They even went midway around the faithfulness of their marriage in order to bring one about by truly the method of sinfulness, but still years later at just the right time by God, he gave them a child, Isaac. In verse number two, it says, And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. Point number two, the Lord always keeps his promises. Isn't it wondrous to know someone who always keeps their promises? How different than the world? How different than anyone else in the world? The Lord is perfect. The Lord loves perfectly. The Lord acts perfectly. The Lord thinks perfectly because he is completely holy, completely set apart. God always keeps his promises. 
God is the creator and the giver of the law and the maker of covenants. Therefore, because he is holy, he's able to not only make promises, but fulfill them. How does he do this? Well, he is God. Yes, but also because the intentional focus of his mind and his heart is to be faithful. Think about how much you could accomplish if the very focus and the very intention and the very parameters of your daily life were one thing. How faithful you would be to that one thing. Let's call it an obsession. A holy obsession. When we fall short of keeping our promises, when we are not faithful in our relationships, it's because we've lost focus of that one thing. God is not simply looking in the direction of the one he keeps promises with. He's so intentional. He's passionately, intensely focused on them. And his compelling focus of love and the fact that he is holy means he does not lose that focus. Conversely, mankind loses focus because mankind lacks intentionality. Have you known anyone who lacks intentionality? Mankind falls short. They not only lack intentionality, I think they lack the great importance of what it means to be intentional. You cannot have the mindset that, well, whatever will be, will be, or that you're going to go with the flow in your life. Because as a Christian, those mindsets lack intentional living. In order to keep the law, you must be intentional. In order to surrender all of yourself to Christ, you must be intentional. In order to love your family well, you must be intentional. In order to lead your family well, you must be intentional. And God shows us how to do this. Because of his passionate desire to be faithful. And that he is holy. And this defends against anything less. If you lack intentionality, I'm also convinced that you lack in passion. That's not to say you're not a passionate person or that at times you don't evoke passion. But I'm saying also for myself that when we lack intentionality, we are lacking our passionate love for God, for our family. And what good is a promise? What good is your word if you do not keep it? God shows us over and over again, always, that he is faithful to his promises. May not be on man's timetable, but God is being faithful. 2 Peter 3, 8 and 9 says, What the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and as a thousand years one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises, some count slowless, but is patient toward you. 2 Peter 3 goes on to talk about 
a different topic than what we'll get into today, but this is very illustrative and truthful of the fact that God dwells outside of time. Therefore, we are already on different planes in our understanding as humans on earth, constrained by time, and God eternal outside of time, has always been outside of time, save for the moments when Jesus walked the earth as a human and operated both outside of and within the constraints of time as he lived and walked among us. We must remember, as we are waiting, that God operates outside of time. And confident that God always operates at the right time. This requires our humility. This requires our surrender to ourselves to remember that we are called to wait on the Lord. We're not called to wait one day on the Lord, we're not called to wait one week on the Lord. God wants us to wait on him. Point number three, we must be obedient to what God commands us. In Genesis 17, 19, God said, Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. A few verses before that, starting at verse 9, and God said to Abraham, as for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you throughout your generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. In Genesis 21, 3 and 4, today's text, Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. We see in this Abraham was obedient to both the name and the circumcision of his son, as God had commanded him. Abraham affixed his priority to be God and to be God's command. He wanted to be obedient. He listened to God. He honored God in this. And Abraham greatly wanted a child from his marriage with Sarah. He had for a long time, and in this longing... He didn't decide to give the child a name he or Sarah had chosen independently, like so many parents today, so as to name the child either after himself or after someone else or a name that he liked. He named the child that which God had instructed because God had come to him specifically and said, you are to name him Isaac. And he obeyed God in that. And he didn't neglect to circumcise him, but both circumcised Isaac and did so on the eighth day of which God had commanded. Abraham's focus 
in this was absolutely God, because when God spoke to him, Abraham responded in faith. And when God speaks, we are measured with how we respond. God is the giver. Isaac was the gift. The fulfillment of the promise was the gift. But Abraham didn't lose focus here that the praise and the adoration is to the giver. The thanksgiving and the worship is unto the giver. The blessing of a child born in God's image and bestowed to Abraham and Sarah to care for, to raise in godliness is a generous gift from the Almighty. But the focus for both Abraham and Sarah is to be the giver. And truly, all of life is about the Lord. It is about the giver, the one who gives all things. All aspects of this created earth, the creatures, the plant life, the vast oceans and the towering mountains and the dry, hot deserts are all about the giver. The people you have in your life and even your own life itself, they're all about the giver. The things you have, the things which you do not deserve because you have no righteousness on your own, because you cannot make yourself worthy, the things you have are all about the giver. It's not about the gift. Though in this instance, it is a baby born in the image and likeness of God, an eternal soul. So yes, so too. But it's about the giver. Every time God spoke with Abraham over 25 years, affirming to Abraham that God would give him descendants and make him into a large nation, the promises set forth were testifying to the greatness of God, to his character, his renown, his majesty, his sovereignty, and his love. God was affirming to Abraham, yes, what God would do, but also that he himself, God, alone is the one in charge of life and death. The humans are born at the command of God that this child was coming to them specifically by God's hand. That Sarah had not conceived before. That she could not conceive before. And then she did here now in chapter 21 by God's hand. He is the one who enables life. He is the one who brings life to an end. He is the one who holds all the keys. Romans 13 verse 1 says, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. See, everything in life is by God. 
He is the one who has brought forth every human life onto this earth. And yes, now those who are doing good, and yes, now those who are doing evil, those who are focused on sin, those who are focused on evil. And we all play a part in that because at times we have been focused on sin, and sin is not of God, and therefore sin is evil. But those who are also obsessed with evil, those who are obsessed with Satan, all of these God has brought forth to be on the earth because God is the author of life. Because every man and woman born, Genesis 1, have been born onto this earth and under common grace given an image and a likeness after their creator. And even the governing authorities, Romans 13, says that these have been brought forth or these have been allowed to be in power, that these have been instituted by God. Those who are holy and those who are not holy, at the very least, God has allowed them to be in power at this time. And that is true of past history as well. And if you read the Old Testament, you will see time and time again, God has allowed a king to be king over Israel or king over Judah or king over Assyria who were not obedient. And they sometimes ruled a very long time. God wants us to be faithful in waiting and endurance. God wants us to see with his eyes so that our desires would be his desires, that we would not create desires of our own, that we would not create ideas of our own apart from God, but that we would be obsessed with God's word, that we would be obsessed with the life of Jesus Christ because he is our savior. Because John 14, 6, he said, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except by me. So when we struggle, when we wonder what's going on in this world, we can wait and we can wait on the Lord. And we can do so with worship and with hope because our God who has illustrated to us that there have always been governments and political upheaval and strife and wars and things going on in this world that are not of God, that we can wait and be patient on him because we know our God always keeps his promises. Always keeps his promises. Point number four, the testimony of our lives is unto God. In verse five of today's text, it says, Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. For those of you 
familiar with the text when the when God came to them and told her, you will name your son Isaac. She laughed back then. Uh, I'm sorry, when he came to her and told her that she would have a son, she laughed. And then God said that you will name him Isaac, which means laughter. The very fact that a child conceived from two people coming together from a biological union and with Abraham at 99 years old, Sarah at 89 years old, and then carried in pregnancy by Sarah and then born to Sarah at 90 years old is miraculous. And who does miracles? That's right, God does. This extraordinary promise, this extraordinary event, this child is a testimony of God. It's a testimony of his power, his grace, and his glory. Sarah makes a lighthearted comment I interpret it as in that what she said one year prior Chapter 18, verse 12, laughing about what God would bring to pass, she now says, God has made laughter for me. Because it was an extraordinary miracle, like none other. She says in verse 7, who would have said? And she's right. Nobody would have because it was absolutely beyond belief. Yet one other comment here shifts the focus. This may be what, what she meant and may not. She says, everyone who hears will laugh over me. Which I see is changing the focus from God and instead placing it on others. What others will think. How others will react. What others will do. We don't read here that she said that others will hear and give glory to God. The one who can do all things. She didn't say that she was a living testimony to who God is and what God can do. Or, like I said, perhaps she might have, but it isn't recorded here in Scripture. And yet her life, Abraham's life, Isaac's life, were all forethought by God, desired by God, brought to pass by God, shown to be in His image intricately, uniquely made by him and for him. Each one of their lives was to be a living testimony about God, for God, and unto God. And we are all made to know God, to surrender our desires to God's desires, to repent of sin and to trust in him, to worship him and to be found in him. To make our identity, to affirm our identity as God's child. To make ourselves a bondservant unto his glory. That our life is not about us. It's not about making me famous in this world because that's not important. Hello world, hello America, that's not important. You will lose yourself ad infinitum if you do that. It is so hard 
I think for someone who chases pride and someone who chases fame to repent of all of that and trust in Christ. It's like the example of the rich young ruler. But Jesus said, one thing you lack, go and sell everything you have, come and follow me. And the man went away sad because he was very wealthy. What's the essence of that story? He went away from Jesus. Sad. Perhaps sad that he could not be with Jesus and follow Jesus and walk with Jesus and hold on to all of his wealth. Jesus knew that his heart was clinging to the wealth. God said you cannot serve both God and money. Because when you give your heart to something, you become a slave to it. Note I used the word bondservant earlier because that is different than a slave. When we choose to dedicate our life to Christ, we are choosing to surrender all and live for God's glory. And that is what a bondservant did. That is the example. That is the definition of a bondservant. A bondservant is not a slave who was taken captive by force and forced to be a slave. A bondservant chooses to make themselves a servant of their master. And God has come to us and God has done all the work and God has reached down and God has sent Jesus Christ to be the one sacrifice for all time. To be the only sacrifice that you will ever need to sacrifice himself on our behalf because we could not pay the penalty to God for recompense. And God does it all, and God reaches down, and God gives you the invitation to be in relationship with him. But this is what it costs. It costs what Jesus said to the rich young ruler. It will cost you everything. You must give up everything else to come and follow me. And oh, what awaits when we follow Christ. Oh, what awaits when we give up our desire for everything else in this world. When we give up our desire for fame. When we give up our desire for other people to complete us. That there is something missing so that we need another human being on this earth to validate us to complete the circle that we are somehow incomplete until we are married or until we have someone else in our life to validate and encourage us. God says, you don't need anyone else. I will do all of that for you. It's not about you. It's about me, but I know that you need love and I know you need encouragement. And I know you need compassion. And I know that you need someone to be your constant companion. Because there are those dark days. Because there are those lonely days. Because there are those stressful days. 
because you have desires for something outside of this world. Because there's something in you that says in your mind, that longs in your heart, there's got to be more than this. In all of this war, in all of this turmoil, in all this strife, in all of this tension, all of this division, those who are in power are seeking to divide humanity, to put us at each other's throats, to skew all of the definitions that have always been in our dictionaries, to turn truth upside down, to make evil conduct look good and favorable, and to make good, holy, righteous, pure conduct now negative. God knows you're longing for something more, and God says, I'm right here. And in all of this waiting, there is a finish line. And I am coming back. And I am bringing restitution. And I am bringing justice. And I will bring absolute justice. There are those who are about justice in our society. And some, yes, are truly about righteousness and balance and restitution. And others have an outright agenda that has nothing to do with righteousness and justice. And God says, I will be the judge. I alone am the judge because I'm the author and the creator of life and death. And every government that exists exists because I either created it, instituted it, or allow it. But they only exist under my dominion. And God is very patient. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should have eternal life in him. And Jesus makes it very clear, it's only through him. And we can wait on the Lord. And we can know in the waiting that we are not just waiting on anyone. We're waiting on the author and the creator of life. On the sustainer of life, the one who allows breath in our lungs at each second of the day. And there are many, many, many seconds in time. And we are with the one who wants to be a companion to us on the good days on the hard days, on the stressful days, on the sad days, on the lonely days, on the grieving days. God is here. God will be your companion. God knows you need love in your life. And God's love is waiting for you. And the perfect love that he brings is like love no other person can bring for you. And yet so too, God says, it's not good that man should be alone. Therefore, he does give us other people to be God mirrors in our life. And those who believe in God's word and those who believe in Jesus Christ as the way and the truth and the life will be a light in your life. And they will be a helper. Genesis talks about a helper. 
because we need other people in our life. But our greatest need and our faraway greatest need is God himself. The child of the promise was a true story of faith. It was a covenant God made with Abraham. And for Abraham and Sarah, it was a test of their faith in God. At times they were faithful and at times unfaithful to the covenant, though God was always faithful. God told them it would happen, that Isaac would be born, but he did not tell them what time it would happen until 24 years after the initial promise. That's when he told them when it would happen. And he said it would be one more year, about this time next year. And 25 years is a long time to wait. When humans lived about 90 to 100 years at that time, How many years were they married without children before God came to Abraham with the promise? Well, we don't know for certain, but what is certain is that at 100 years old and 90 years old, respectively, they both had waited a very long time to have a child together. And how they must have longed to have a child. How they must have cried and consoled each other. Many times, how many nights, how many times? And the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness. God's timing is not our timing, not our preferred timing. But when God speaks, how do we respond? And if we do not hear him speak specifically regarding a specific request we have made to him, how do we live each day? Are we still faithful to obey his commandments, to wait on him in holiness, to worship him with our lives? Because God wants us to do just this. Wait in holiness. Worship him in holiness. Because in all this, we are trusting him. Despite what we desire, whether it comes to pass or not, we are trusting him. The child of the promise is also a foreshadowing. It's a foreshadowing of another one to come. Another one who the people of God had waited on for a very long time. Isaiah 9 verse 2 says the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shined. You have multiplied the nation, you have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the governments shall be upon his shoulder, 
and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father and Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. You know, the people of God had waited a very long time throughout the Old Testament for the Messiah to come, for Jesus to come. And now the people of God have waited over 2,000 years since Jesus walked the earth for Jesus' return. And we are waiting, but the Lord is not slow, as some count slowness. God is asking us to wait and to be faithful. To pursue him and to be faithful, to chase the giver. Do not chase the gifts, chase the giver and be faithful. And we know that God is always faithful. God is always good. God is always in control. God is always faithful and God will bring the waiting to a close. And there will be an end. And then God's people will be with him. And every desire of your heart will be met and will be fulfilled and will be healed in God himself. Let's pray. O Lord, our healer. O Lord, the sovereign, the one who has full dominion, the one who holds life and death in your hands. Nothing happens outside of your power. Nothing happens outside of your will because your will is supreme. Because you are writing your story about your glory and your love for man. May your people see this and even in darkness, turn and look at the light. Not desire the things that dwell in the darkness, but turn away from that and look at the light. The light is you. The light is Christ. The light has come and the light is coming back. And every longing of our hearts will be met. Oh Lord, it will be met in you. Holy Spirit, stir our desires for our light, our Savior, our Creator God. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Join me next time as we continue in Genesis 21.